Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Prez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful co-host with me today, Matt. Uh, Matt, what are you up to today, besides Lore Watch? Swallowing as quickly as possible, and I managed to get there just before you talked to me. <laughs> Every week we go through this, and it's always the same. I love it. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Uh, so this week we're going to be answering some more of your questions, uh, but one thing that was definitely presented our way was, uh, and then we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, not sure how much, uh, but it seems that uh, Steve Denouser, uh has had a interview recently with Lorekeeper.net, uh, and some interesting information has come out of that. Uh, but before we get into there, uh, if you do have questions for the podcast, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, if you are a patron supporter, we have a patron Q and supporter questions section directly on our Discord server, uh, as well as a non-patron question section where several of our questions have come from as well. Uh, so you have plenty of options in order to get those questions at us. Uh, but before we get to those, what did you think of the interview with uh, with Steve? I mean, it was an interview. Um, <laughs> any any big surprises I mean, for you? No. Um, I think the thing people are going to want us to talk about is one in one of the questions. So I'm not. I'm well, waiting for that question to answer it, since then basically, if we don't wait for that question, it'll just me be going. That stuff I said before is the answer to this question. So. <laughs> Well, I don't see any problem with that, but of course, obviously, there's going to be some mild spoiler warnings just because Steve was talking about some things that pertain specifically to the Shadowlands. Um, so I'm sorry for those of you that are upset that we do spoilers, but we've been doing this for a while. You should know what's up by now. Uh, so why don't you go ahead, Matt? Go for it. Absolutely. Lay out which, which, read question. The question? which one in particular do you want me to read? Well, I have to actually go look at the email then, you bastard. <laughs> um, it's the first one. It's the Titsemi one. So I will guess I'll read sure. the question. Question for Lorewatch Podcast. Preface, I linked a recent interview with Steve Denuser in the spoiler chat. What do you think of his description of Velen and alternate timeline Velen as threads of a rope that make up the character and all those threads eventually coming together to be that character? Anything else in the interview catch your eye or answer a question you've had for a while? So, Okay. In the section he's talking about, Steve is being asked, you know, what happens with alternate universe versions of characters like Ultran or, you know, Draka versus the Draka in the Maldraxxus short. And he, he did use the, the metaphor of a rope as a solid object. You can touch a rope. You can hold a rope. A rope is a discrete object. And yet it is also made up of many smaller woven together threads that create the rope. It's braided. and That's how you get rope. And you could think of the alternate universe Velen as one thread that is plucked away from that rope. It doesn't stop being part of the rope just because you pulled it away a little sooner and then cut it. 
that th the rope itself is still Velen, and thus the Velen you see, if you, if Velen were to be in the Shadowlands, it would be, you know, the, the one Velen would be there. And he made the point of Draka versus alternate universe Draka, and, you know, which Draka is in, in Maldraxxus? Are we going to see the other Draka using that rope metaphor? I have some problems with this, uh, but I understand why they're they're saying this. I understand where, where Steve is going with this. From the beginning, World of Warcraft has approached alternate timelines differently than, say, DC Comics with its alternate universes. In in most versions, when when a story tell, when when storytelling uses alternate universes in in its storytelling, usually the idea is that the alternate universe versions are discrete, independent people. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're you. That's an alternate version of you, but that you is not the you that you are. They could be evil. They could be a, you know, a robot, whatever. They're different. The, their differences make them discrete and individual beings. Wow. Timelines aren't actually real in the same sense. They, there's always been that thing. If you go back to Thrall time, you know, uh, Thrall, uh, I keep wanting to say Thrall time of the aspects, but I can't remember the name of it. But when you go back to that book, they make the point that the alternate timeways that he's experiencing, they exist. You can go to them, but they're not real. There's one true timeline. These are reflections of it. So when you, when Thrall goes to a world where uh, Blackmore successfully took over the Alliance using him as his, as his pawn, that's not – it doesn't have the same discrete reality. And they've been making this point for years. This is not new. Uh, they've been saying this throughout multiple, you know, different things. The problem with it is that if you stop and think about it, here's one example. Overlord Gayara from Alternate Draenor mm -hmm. is the daughter of Durotan and Draka. She has no siblings. She's their only child. She was born on Draenor. Is she a different person than Thrall? If she is, what does that mean? Now that she's in our world, does are, is she and Thrall, are they the same person, just one of them's a woman? Are they different people? Is she Thrall's sister? How does this end up working? We recruited orcs from another world to join the Horde. Yeah, that's that's the weird part about that, right? Like When, when he was talking about it, that's the first thing I thought of as well, is we have an entire race of orcs pulled from that reflection that now exists on Azeroth, which is referred to several times as like, you know, the prime reality or whatever. How does that work then? Does that mean anything from that reflection can be pulled in? Does that mean that we could have, you know, two Velens existing in the same space at the same time? Uh, we, we know for a fact, we know for a fact that we've had two Gul'dans on our Azeroth. Yeah, we absolutely have. And, I think, I mean, I get where they're going with this. The basic, the, the, he even pointed out how strange it was to think about the concept of multiple people from the, you know, different timelines and how complicated it made the Shadowlands. And I think that the rope, the rope metaphor is a pretty, it's a pretty clever way to try and get around it. Ultimately, though, it's them saying, we're not going to be dealing with this. Yeah. There's not going, and it makes me a little sad because it means my alternate Gul'dan caused all this theory is out the window. Because they're just straight up not going to deal with it, uh, and it, but it's something they've done with timelines before. They've act, they've basically said that if you run into an alternate timeway, it can eventually collapse back into the timeline and just be absorbed. That can happen, and this is just taking that metaphor and making it personal. It it is a strange thing to think about if you have like say, Garage Hellscream who died on alternate Draenor. And he didn't have an alternate version of himself there. He was never born there. Mm -hmm. The woman that was his mother in our timeline died before he was born. But do you, you see where I'm going with how it's like this? It's it's an odd statement. It's not a bad statement. I'm not like I'm not sitting around here going, you know, that makes no sense. It makes sense. It just creates further problems. Yeah, like and the Gayara Thrall problem or the. The concept of Velen and alternate Velen. Alternate timeline Velen died, but Velen's still alive and won't go to the Shadowlands until which? Which Velen gets to be the real Velen? I guess our Velen does. It turns alternate timelines in WoW. Alternate timelines or alternate timeways or whatever you want to call them aren't really real. 
they get reabsorbed into ours, but you can physically leave them and come to our Azeroth and be a player character. Yeah. And that's, that's a strange thing. That's, that's, if you're asking me, like, that's the thing that caught my eye immediately. That's the thing that I said, Oh, that's interesting. That, and I, I know they're not going to do much in Shadowlands with this. Um, I think that, and I think this response is very much them saying, guys, this is Shadowlands is not about alternate timelines. And I get it. And they don't, yeah. they don't want, they don't want to make a hard and fast statement about them. They, and they, they've been doing that from the time that they told us that the Archimonde who died on alternate Draenor was the same Archimonde we fought before. Yeah. And we're sitting here going, how is that possible? And they never explained how that was possible other than, well, demons exist, you know, and he made a point about how death has nothing to do with time. Death is an eternal thing. There's no real time in the Shadowlands, which I think goes back to that thing that Eon said about how time works differently there. I think the premise is basically time doesn't work there. Time is and arbitrary, it doesn't, almost. It doesn't mean we're going to have a time jump, because I know people think that that's what's going to happen. It means that when you go there, you could spend a thousand years there, and you could come back, and it would be like maybe seconds have passed. There's it, no way for you to tell. There's There's no reference point to it i mean it's not like you get old and die when you're over there because you're already in a place of death so you don't age you don't progress there's no that the road to forward is just endless it's an eternal place and i think that's basically where they're going with this where they're they're just not going to deal with it there's not going to be a storyline where the other draka shows up or any other drakas and the metaphor here is that it's like tributaries to a stream. There's the one, there's the true person, the Velen, who is our Velen that we recognize and understand. And all, if you went to another alternate timeway and saw another Velen, that Velen is a branch of the original one. It's like a tributary off of a stream that eventually will rejoin it. I, I, I find this a really strange metaphor, and it's hard for me to get my head around it, but that's where I think he's going with it. The concept is that there's one true timeline. Again, to borrow from that statement from years ago now. And these are the people who are from it. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. And it, it certainly complicates a lot of theories. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff we talked about has become, I don't want to say invalid, but it's not its not right anymore. So looking at it, like it was something that, that definitely leaped out to me as well. Simply because how many things have spawned from that alternate Draenor in particular that, you know, just don't make sense anymore. They don't really follow that thread. And like you said, I get what he's going through for with the metaphor. Um, I found that very, very interesting that it was that was how he would choose to explain it. Um, and I don't feel it was entirely an inaccurate statement of how you could view it. But it definitely does complicate things. And then you then factor in stuff we know about the Bronze Dragonflight. Um, and it almost feels like it's one of those things where we we always say that we have to take it with a grain of salt because, again, video game. Um, but with them not wanting to delve into it quite with the Shadowlands, because that's not the focus of it, it's going to be a while before we start getting any of that sort of addressed or or any sort of lead into it. Uh, another thing that I thought was really interesting from the interview was a discussion of the Souls and Forsaken, uh, which we've been talking about a lot over the last few weeks, uh, which is that there is a, a distinction between Scourge and uh, Intelligent Undead. But this also is a weird statement for me, because how many of the Forsaken started out as Mindless Scourge? I mean, how many are Scourge are Intelligent Undead? How many Scourge are Intelligent Undead? Um, we, know, so, we know Kel'Thuzad's showing up in this expansion. Yes, and and uh, Undead Boyfriend is a really good example of how this sort of complicates things. Uh, Nathanos started as a mindless Forsaken that Sylvanas went and found and awoken, right? Like, gave him his intellect back. So did he? Did was it just something where his soul was re-pulled back into that body? Uh, because one of the distinctions that was made there is that there's necromancy uh, that binds souls into sort of the Forsaken in, in a different way uh, than just that's Spark the one of Life. That the Val that's also the Valkyr ones, I think. Also the Valkyr Which, ones as well, yeah. yeah so there, there's a lot to it. It, it uh, again, it, It's becoming complicated. This is one of the situations where I really need like a Hermes Conrad soundboard mm -hmm. where he goes, that just raises further questions. 
<laughs> because that's what happens. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why they're kind of trying to elegantly sidestep discussing this. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's, it's a good metaphor, but it exists to basically tell us, guys, this isn't what we're going to focus on in this expansion. We're not going to have weird edge cases. We're not going to have two Gul'dans. We're not going to do that. This is about death. It's about going to death. We did the alternate world story. That story's done now. We're doing this. Much of the same way is it doesn't really make sense that, you know, Cadgar took his ball and went home at the end of Legion and we haven't seen him since. When the sky just ripped open and the forces of death are invading, why is Cadgar like still sitting in Karazhan going, I'm sure they'll handle it. Yeah. Well, somebody's got a deal that would be dealing with that. I'm, I'm busy reading this book. But, you know, obviously it would make sense for him to show up but at the same time we've got a bunch of characters who are going to be involved in this and you can't have every character in every story so you kind of just have to go with it to a degree and i feel like that's very much where we are with a lot of this stuff uh the other thing that i thought was interesting of note too was the question about the six elements uh where one of them is spirit we've been talking about that recently and this actually made me feel really good because it's a statement you and i both made a very long time ago that seems like we might have been on the right path uh, so the question was the cosmology chart, uh, basically like, and with the elements, does spirit have any connection with anima and, and sort of how does that fit in it? And, uh, Steve said that the cosmology chart is an interpretation of those forces. Uh, it's one way to structure them and visually understand them. And there are some parallels to it. Uh, think of elemental magics as being primal magics. And then those big forces of order, disorder, life, death, light, and void. Those are structured end of high magics. Uh, and then after that, it was not so much that anima is, uh, you know, is spirit, uh, but there's certainly echoes of spirit in anima. And he went on to say that uh, looking at the cosmology chart, you could look at those and interpret those as echoes or resonate or things that resonate out of those realms into the mortal realms, which is something you and I both said a long time ago when we first started the cosmology chart, uh, which is what makes Azeroth sort of like this perfect middle point. It's it's almost like it's attuned to all these. So I thought that was kind of interesting where we talk about how elementals can exist on their own planes and still be brought in, how all these things can touch Azeroth. Uh, it's because it's in this place where there, there are sort of echoes of these things. Um, it's how it resonates. And I thought that was, was interesting and that could lead to some very interesting things in the future, depending on how they choose to tell the story and what direction they tend to go in. So I think it, the interview was very good. It's very well worth your read if uh, you have some time to do so. Um, it's yeah, one of those it's, things. It's very good that Steve takes the time to actually discuss yes. these things with people and gives you an idea of what he's, what they're thinking, where they're going forward. It's, it's useful. It's very useful for that. And I, I definitely recommend it. Plus Steve's a cool dude. I agree. He's a, he's been a very nice person with all the interactions I've had with him. So Steve, if you're listening, you're a good dude. You get the loader seal of approval. Um, but yeah, it's, it's well worth it for getting in the mindset. One of the things we always get questions on is, you know, what are the devs thinking? Well, this gives you a little bit about that. Obviously it's not going to be hard and fast black and white answers because where would be the fun in that? Um, and if there were hard, hard, fast black and white answers, Rossi and I wouldn't have a job to do. So, you know, that'd be not fun for us. But yeah, go read yeah, it. I got it. Go ahead. I was gonna say I do I do like doing this, so yeah, it would it would be like, you know, oh well yeah, no. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be lore watch anymore. It would just be, you know, what were you eating just before we started the podcast? And I don't think people <laughs> want to hear that. So Soup, yeah. by the way, in case people were wondering. So if you ever if you have, if, if Blizzard ever releases the definitive guide to lore in the world of Warcraft, well, you know that they're just tired of listening to us. Every but time I, they do that, though, dude, it just this is the thing I find hilarious <laughs> about it. Every time they do it, it's just again the Hermes Conrad thing. Yep. That just that raises more. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> it's like every time, man. Uh, all right. Well, if you have any questions about anything you read in the uh, the interview with Steve Denauser, please go ahead and send them our way. Uh, it will well, be like more. The next couple of questions we get here are, are basically based on that. that yes, not the Jennifer one, but no. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and answer some of your questions. And uh, again, we did get uh, many of these from our Patreon supporter Q. So thank you very much out there. Um, this one comes from our good friend Roxy, who I believe was formerly known as Padilla. Uh, question for Lorewat. Watch. 
much. Wow, I can't talk today. Greetings, lore watchers. It is I, Roxy, Zandalari Troll Shaman of Hygel US and the Q. Now that Jennifer has been found, what are the lore implications of a cat that has old god whispers and spawns tentacles and grows with void, uh, glows with void energy? Is she a secret old god, or like Elaine and the Q guesses, a secret void lord, or is she just a cat? Uh, cats are always half in the void, man. Like they she just. Is a, she, she's a pet that you can get in the game, and it's fun. And that's it. And it's got cool stuff that if you like the game, you'll be like, oh, that's cool. And that's it. She doesn't actually exist in terms of, like, you're never going to hear Andrew and Rand talking about the void cat monstrosity that's going to kill him. It's it's just a pet. Yeah, that, which is very, very true. Uh, not a lot of pets or but mouse I, have story implications. Also, but- I'm going to say this. Cats are not all, you know, I'm, I'm going to argue with Joe here about the concept <laughs> that cats are all like that. Because I got three cats. And one of my cats, I could totally believe, is a secret Void Lord. Like, straight up. Yeah, she's she's evil incarnate. She loves me, and I love her very, very, very much. But yeah, oh no, I would totally believe it. (laughs) But my boy cat, Sasquatch, no way. Nope, just he isn't. That's not him. He is very much... He's when he's when he's in a good mood, he's very loving, he's very playful, but he is just afraid of everything all the time. Like if anything happens, he is out of the room. Here's a noise outside, out of the room. He, you know, smells another cat that might be wandering around in front yard, he's immediately out of the room. Uh the dog barks, out of the room. And my third cat, the oldest cat that we have, um, her concerns are is there food? And if so, is it anyone other than me getting it? She does not have time for the void. If the void showed up, she would attempt to eat it. See, I was just going to go with cats are complicated. I like yeah, so, cats. Cats can't... are really. We, we, I don't know. I feel like we're talking about the lore of cats here, and not the lore of a Blizzard <laughs> Entertainment product. So I don't want to get too far into it. But I will say that I think cats, of all the various animals I interacted with, I think cats are the closest to. Have you ever seen that show, Herman's Head? Yeah. You remember yeah. like all the little people inside the head? Yeah, like, that's what that's what cats are. Cats don't have any of those. Cats cats are always themselves. Whatever they are, they always are themselves. But they are themselves like those things that live inside you. Like I, I feel like every one of my cats has taken some aspect of my personality and just run with it. Like Puck, she's the devil. I love her and she loves me. We really, you know, you, there's hundreds of pictures of her licking my beard tenderly. But she is the devil. Just just murderous fury inside of her. Sasquatch, my other cat, he is embodiment of my fear. Like any, all my anxieties, all my terrors, all my mindless panics. That's him. He is that. And at the same time, he's also the guy who likes to be come up to me when I'm in bed and sleep on top of me. And he, that's what calms him down and makes him feel safe. And Aurora is my where the f is the food. You know, that just that desire for more of whatever it is you like. Since she's a cat, she's not running around trying to get more video games or more, you know, she's just a cat. But yeah, that very much that aspect of myself that is acquisitive. That's Aurora. And and they all, they have more stuff going on, but they're all carry cats about everything. You yeah. know what I mean? But but we really have to stop this. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next one podcast. because yeah. If you want us to, uh, to go into Cat Watch, that's a whole other thing that we can talk about later. Uh, our <laughs> next our one... Patreon. We'll do it. <laughs> uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, our next one comes from Spatrizi. Uh, question for Lore Watch. You may have already covered this, but here's a unique Shadowlands. For, but there is there a unique Shadowlands for every timeline, or does everyone from every alternate timeline, e.g., Draenor, uh, end up in the same Shadowland? My gut would say each timeline logically has its own complete package, but timey wimey stuff doesn't always work logically. And what happens when someone from an alternate timeline dies in another one? If our characters die in Draenor, would they go to Draenor Shadowlands or the Azeroth Prime one? Thanks for keeping up the great work. Um, first thing we like know that. We did. Yeah, but I think the greatest example of part of that is Garrosh. He died on alternate Draenor, and he went to the Shadowlands. We know that now. Uh, So, like, if you were to die in an alternate reality or an alternate timeline or something else, as long as it connects to wherever in the universe that it can, you're probably going to go to the Shadowlands. Here's Um, an example. Say you're an orc, and you end up 10,000 years ago, and Sargeras squashes you. You probably went to the Shadowlands, mm-hmm. even though you died 10,000 years ago. It didn't matter. 
You, in fact, you died 10,000 years ago, and possibly you died inside the Twisting Nether, because he stepped through the portal and fought Sargeras before he could come through. So he died 10,000 years ago in the Twisting Nether. He probably ended up in the Shadowlands. Yeah. Uh, as far as everything else goes, uh, alternate timelines, and, and Steve kind of covered this one, it all touches the prime reality. So it all goes to the one area. There's doesn't, there's not a million Shadowlands. Although we do know that the Shadowlands touches in an infinite number of worlds, uh, because they and, basically and say as much. Also, there might be a, a billion Shadowlands, but they're alternate. They're not alternate Shadowlands. Right. There's the one Shadowlands, but it's got a lot of places. Yeah. Like there's Bastion and there's Ardenweald and there's just because we know about four of them besides the Maw. And Oribos doesn't mean there's only four of them. If you go to Oribos, there's a lot of doors. Yep. So it's quite possible there's a huge amount of Shadowlands, but there's one, the Shadowlands, that they're all part of. At least that seems to be what's going on right now. Yeah, and I agree with that assessment. Um, so, yeah, I um, think that pretty much covers that one. There's really not a whole lot of, uh, of wiggle room in that one. So Shadowlands is sort of an omnipresent um, our next one actually doesn't have a name associated with it. It was sent in to us uh, through Dan uh, somehow. So if this is your question, please let us know, and I'll be more than happy to attribute it to you later. Dear Ancient Knowledge Observers, questions for the Lore Watch. You may have answered this one already, but I don't remember. What was Sylvanas's relationship with Azjara prior to the Sundering, when the Blood Elves were still High Elves? Did Lothamar or Kalthas have a relationship with her? More pressing, what are your thoughts on the big horde symbol hanging in the sky over Ice Crown on the top of the Torghast Tower? Is there a link between the Jailer, the Maw, Shadowlands, and the origins of the Horde? Keep up the good work. No relationship. Um, Sylvanas, I mean, you mean the Sundering, not the Shattering, right? I think they mean the Sundering, yeah. So 10,000 years ago, uh, Sylvanas wasn't alive yet. Neither was uh, Lorthamar or Kelvas. They're much younger. They're like, I don't know how old they are, but they're not 10,000 years old. Uh, the blood, the High Elves came over, like Dathramar Sunstrider, who was the head of the High Elves when they came over, was a highborn, and he was like Kelvas's either grandfather or great-grandfather. Um, Anisterion is his descendant. Anisterion is Kalthas's father. Now, Anisterion lived a few thousand years, but he didn't live 10,000 years. He was not even born yet when the, the High Elves came over to, to the, the Eastern Kingdoms from Kalimdor. So none of them had a direct relationship with Ashara. Ashara would have been the boogeyman they all heard about. Yeah, that seems you know, accurate. But, but in terms of them knowing her, no. Not any more than I know, you know, Charlemagne. Uh, I know who Charlemagne was. If you, you know, brought up Charlemagne, I can go, oh, yeah, that guy, big dude, was king of the Franks. But I, you know, it's not like I knew the guy, you know. Uh, it's, or to, to use a more accurate one, you know, it'd be like if you asked a modern day member of the Roosevelt family what Teddy Roosevelt was like. Uh, they, they know him, they know who he was, but they probably never met him. Because he was dead way before they were born. It's that kind of situation. Um, as far as the big horde symbol, I'm going to let Joe go on that one. Because honestly, I don't see it. I also don't really see it. This is not the first time I've heard about this. Um, a lot of people seem to think uh, that it is a horde symbol. I think it is more coincidental just because it seems to be an uneven overturned U. Um, I really don't think there's any correlation there. I could be wrong. and This could be a, a huge swerve that comes later. Uh, but I think it is mostly just uh, a mirror iconography because one of the th this started popping up when we started getting the other loading screen showing up for people when it actually has a Shadowlands loading screen now. Uh, so when they were seeing that, uh, that was sort of the, uh, the the first thought. But if you look at it, it's more an inversion of how Ice Crown Citadel is and the spires that are atop there. I don't think it's a horde symbol. I think it is meant to be more of a representation or distortion of what Ice Crown looks like on the material plane. That's what Torghast is in the plane of the Shadowlands. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with, with being tied to the origins of the horde. Uh, I could be wrong. It could be a yeah. thing that it could be a thing that was whispered in the ears of ear of uh, Gul'dan the first, and then uh, happened I mean, through Nerzul. It could be, but 
I'm looking at it right now, and it's asymmetrical like the Horde symbol, and it has certain visual similarities. I can get where you got this, but it's not identical. It lacks the central diamond point, and it lacks on the arms. There's like a point that comes out of the arms on both sides. That's not there on the Horde symbol. And it's also, if it is the Horde symbol, it's flipped around. The Horde symbol is portrayed most of the time that I found it with the short arm on the right, on, you know, on the left and the long arm on the right as I'm facing it. Um, and the Torghast symbol is the opposite way. But, but so, I've seen versions of the Horde symbol that look like that. I get why you're saying it. it. I see the visual similarities. I don't think it's intended to be the Horde symbol. No. That's, and and from a design standpoint, years and years and years and years and years ago, uh, at one of the BlizzCons, I actually asked about uh, one of the art panels about the origin of the Horde symbol, uh, where it came from, et cetera, et cetera. The Horde symbol that we are very, very familiar with is an amalgamation of the founding members of the Horde and symbolism found therein. Uh, the tusks, the horns, the shields, uh, all of that stuff, it's all like an amalgamation of the races that comprise the original Horde. Um, and we're talking like before Forsaken, we're talking about before like Warcraft 3 Horde, basically. Um that's what it was. That was what it, the art was originally for. So any similarities there, I think, are um, artistic and coincidental, not necessarily meaningful, because there was definite thought design behind the Horde symbol that, that dates back to Warcraft 3. Uh, now, if I had to retcon in something to explain it, like if they were like, oh, oh, we're going to work, go with this, come up with a way to explain it, I think Joe's idea that it came from Gul'dan or Ner'zhul and they were influenced in some way that would be the way to go. Uh, but as far as I can tell, none of the, nothing like that exists. And yeah. as far as I know, yeah, there's, there's no, this is not supposed to be the same thing. They are similar looking. I get, I looking at it now, I went and looked at various versions of the horde symbol. I get why you guys are saying it. I can see the visual similarities, but I don't think it's supposed to be the same thing. That is, that is my take on it. Yeah. All right, moving on to our next one. Hello, Watchers of Lore. It's frequently mentioned on the show that the Shadowlands are wiping away memories, saying that they are taking away what makes that character a character. Draka in particular, you called out there is no mention of her husband, and somehow that was important. But I need to point out that this is the afterlife, and it's possible these characters have gone through this process over and over again. Think about it this way. If reincarnation is real, then we all have gone through this over and over again. In philosophy, there is also the argument that our memories are not who we really are. Not sure who said this, but if you want to know who you were in a past life, look at yourself right now. And if you want to know what your future self will be, look at yourself right now. Personally, I would love it if I encountered someone in the game that knew me in a past life. That could be a fun moment. Just for the record, I am fiercely agnostic. I am completely aware that I can be talking insanity. I do know this. Love the show. Cheers, Mark. Well, I mean, you know, this really isn't a show where we discuss philosophy. We may mention it occasionally in purposes of lore discussion, but if you want to believe that reincarnation exists and you've been reincarnated over and over again, go for it. It doesn't necessarily matter for the game. As far as we can tell... There's nothing in Draka's story that says this. she's been reincarnated over and over again. Now, we know that there is a zone that's all about that. Yeah, it's Bastion. We know that. Oh, Ardenweld. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, no. Bastion is wiping memories. Sorry. I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm also going to point out that we're not saying that, that Draka has had her memories wiped away. I said that what I said about Maldraxxus was that who you were before isn't really important. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they, they're not interested in who you were. Then they're more interested in what you can do now. Are you are you capable of doing the things we need done? Yeah. Can, can you defend the Shadowlands? Are you do you have the kind of will that will allow you to fight? And you know you got that will through your life, great. But now we're much more interested in you using it than in you know. I would assume that in Maldraxxus they probably spend some time teaching you that they don't want to hear it about you know. But I have to go find you know. When they put in the Mankirk's wife storyline that, that I demand they put in, where she's like, where she's going on a rampage throughout Maldraxxus, demanding to know where her husband is, um, I, I'm kidding. But my point is just that, you know, I'm, it, the way Maldraxxus feels to me 
it's less that they're wiping out who you were and more that they don't care. Whereas Bastion, they straight up wipe out who you were. Uh, Revendreth, it's much more about purging you of the, the mistakes you made, the sins you committed, the arrogance you displayed. They, they're they actually very invested in who you were in life since that's what makes you useful to them. Uh, and Revendreth, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about who you were in life. You did some awful stuff and we're going to strip mine you for it. They don't want you to forget it. They're using it as, as energy. <laughs> yeah. What are they, what are they called? Garage, the old reliable, old reliable, one of them. Sorry. I know. And old reliable, one of our old reliables. And so each one has a different approach to what you were in life. Uh, so I don't think it's fair to say that they're all about the shadowlands are wiping away memories. That's not fair. Yeah. Bastion, and, and, Bastion and, does. And I was going to say, and to be clear, we've never stated that. We've only talked about that with Bastion. We've been pretty clear about that. Um, Bastion is where you shed your memories of your life in order to be essentially a perfect servant. All the other ones, you're still who you are. You still yeah, have well, memory of who you are. Ardenweald, it's very much important that you remember who you were because you're going back. And even and if you way- don't go back, they like um, the one bear guy. I can't remember his name now, and I apologize. But like he can't go back to his world, but he still remembers his world and his past life. He's very open about it when you talk to him. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, that's just. But that's like you know when you talk to Yasera, she's not forgetting who she was. Sorry, we already need spoiler warnings, guys. I'm going to be mentioning dead people. Uh, so each realm has a different approach to this. Now. As to your philosophical argument, again, I don't think we really have that. This is not really the podcast for Matthew Rossi to go on a 35 minute discussion (laughs) on various types of reincarnation theories throughout human cultures. I mean, there's lots of different takes on this, but it's fair to say that in Ardenweald, your reincarnation does not. I think it's fair to say that to use the the Ardenweald short and to use the story of Ursoc as a particular part of it. It's fair to say that having your reincarnation cycle interrupted is really bad. And it's the reason for all of Ursoc's problems in Wrath of the Lich King and Legion is because the Furbolg weren't willing to wait for him to come back. Yeah. And they used the the destroyed former world tree Vordrasil to try and kickstart the process. And that's what allowed him to be corrupted by the old god and caused all the trouble that Ursoc went through. And that's fascinating, and I, I hope they touch on it in Ardenweald. I, I would love to have them being like, the reason we can't just, the reason we can't just, you know, skip the process and just send them back to avoid the, the anima drought is because they'll come back wrong. Yeah, which would be interesting with the Loa, too, in that regard as well, because it's a, there's been, I think there's been times where they've they've tried to bring Loa back sooner than later, right? Like Hakar. A car doesn't count because a car has always been messed up and wrong. And that, yeah. maybe that's why he's messed I, that, up and that's wrong. That's kind of what I was getting at. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's why he was able to be corrupted the way he was. It's quite, it's possible. Or maybe he is in fact a spirit of corruption. There's been a lot of talk about the fact that the Emerald nightmare was very involved. If you go to like the sunken temple, it's the Emerald nightmare that's infesting uh, the, you know, the, the, the shade of Aranicus. It's that that they're drawing out of Aranicus to power Hakar. Mm-hmm. Why? What is it about Hakar? Why is Hakar apparently somehow related to the Emerald Nightmare and the Old Gods, but he didn't show up at all in Battle for Azeroth, despite there being a blood god that was an old god? And remember that the original blood plague was spread by Hakar. Yep. Uh, and I mean, when I say the original, I mean you find a tablet in Zandalar that talks about the original blood trolls were Hakar worshippers. And we know Hakar is showing up in this expansion, and it's got something to do with Muzala and all that stuff. So yeah, there's a lot to it, and I, I, I don't think that there's a lot to see about the concept of reincarnation, how it, it's going to work in Ardenweald, what effect it's going to have, and why they can't just push the you know oh we're having an anima drop, push the spirit back through. They they can't for whatever reason, uh, and we're, we'll see more about it. I hope. Yeah, the other thing I think is interesting about it, just in order to touch base on it, is 
the only ones that we know for a fact or in truth have been reincarnated over and over and over and over again, at least in terms of Azeroth, are the Wild Gods, because we've we've witnessed it multiple times, uh, and the essentially the Loa, because we know that they can come back. Uh, the Wild Gods are interesting, especially in the case of Ursoc, and going back to the Ardenweald uh, short, he knows about the cycle. He knows about the process. It's not something that's a mystery to him. And if it's not a mystery to him, it stands to reason that the other uh, entities that, that go through the cycle are aware of it as well. Like, he knows about the great forest beyond. He knows that he'll slumber for a time and then will be returned back to fulfill his duty. That's one of the comforts he has as he's dying in that short when his corrupted form is finally taken down. He's, it's not a sad moment for him. It's, it's, this is peace that I know what comes next. And we've seen that with other, other wild gods where they've come back. So, like Malorn, like Malorn. Malorn come back. Yep. Um, we but, know, although I will point out, Malorn again was called back because of the danger. When we see Malorn come back, he's called back by his son who himself had died and was called back because of the danger to Azeroth from the cataclysm. Mm -hmm. So that's something you'll notice that Malorn didn't get corrupted, but scenarios did. Yeah. So and that's another possibility that like, if the process is interrupted, if the process is rushed, there could be problems. Yeah. Cause where does it get the power for it? Cause that's the other thing too, right? Like we know that there's a long process partially in Ardenweld. When you go through some of that storyline, Part of the reason is because it is a it's a recharging period. They're getting that energy back slowly but surely. When they're in their dream pods and waiting for their rebirth, they're being fed anima to uh, reconstitute their souls. And in in the process, and again, mild spoilers if you're still here after the first one, uh, when you're resurrecting Ysera from her pod, from her, cleansing her nightmare, you're feeding her anima. And in fact, part of it is linking yourself through a ceremony with her to feed her part of your mortal soul, essentially, uh, to power her up so that she can be reborn. Like it's it's you're rushing the process still, but you're rushing it through the right way, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's you're not finding tapping the power from an alternate source like it seems like some of these other ones are, whether it was uh, the Frobol not waiting and then tapping into a world tree that was corrupted uh, and then all of a sudden that energy since it's corrupted is now being fed into the essence of that being well there it is right there or Hakar or any of those other ones that are coming back that might be uh, subverted because you're not letting the natural order of anima be fed into them which at this point the anima is purified it's been through whatever recycling process the land and Ardenweld has in place for it uh, to be fed back in to have essentially a pure conversion you rush that with Ysera, but you rush it by taking that anima, cleansing it, purifying it, and putting it into her, which nobody else can do outside of this particular realm. And the only reason we can do it now is because everything is going sideways in Ardenweld already. Uh, so we're pay playing damage control to begin with, and this is just another step of that. But it makes an interesting point of if you try to circumvent that system and find the energy from somewhere else what happens what happens to that process what happens to that soul what happens to that entity uh, and we're going to see more of that too because there's um i believe there's some references that i was catching to uh hall and high mountain again which is interesting which means there's been references to uh, ashero who is a uh his status was deceased uh but i think he is going to probably qualify in that wild god status he's a stag ancient um so I don't know. We're, we're probably going to find out more about that. We're probably going to find out more what happens with that entire process as we move further through uh, Shadowlands. And I'm actually very much here for it. Moose. Moose. There's like a difference. The Stag yes. Ancient is Malorn. Yes. Favorite of the Stag Ancient Malorn. Sorry. Moose are different, man. It's a different mm -hmm. thing. That's fair. Although, quite frankly, there should, you know, Eshero shouldn't just be favorite of the Stag Ancient. Eshero should be an ancient because Moose are big and deadly <laughs> yeah moose moose deserve their own ancient guys but you know whatever there, there's a possible if a shero comes back as an ancient at this point i'd be on board for that too this um, is me being canadian really <laughs> uh i our, have adopted their ways 
<laughs> our next question comes from our friend Spry Sprocket from Proudmore. Greetings, watchers. What's up with Uther's ghost in the Western Plaguelands? An imposter? Uther taking an unapproved vacation? Moonlight reflecting off the swamp gas? Uh, it seems unlikely that the Kyrian would let one of their own hop down to the mortal plane to visit their own tomb. Is this a case of a retcon waiting to happen, or do you think there are deeper lore implications? I'm interested in what Steve said about threads on a soul. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that might actually work pretty well with the concept of what's going on with Uther uh, and the concept of what's, what is a soul? What happens to a soul when you die and get brought back in some fashion? What, what are the Forsaken? Are the Forsaken, like, do they have their complete soul in them? Do they have a piece, a fragment, one of those filaments coming off of the rope? I don't have the answers to these questions. I don't know what's up with Uther's ghost. I do think it's possible that we, I think we've seen enough from the uh, show, the short to recognize something happened to Uther's soul. And he himself says, so he shows the wound and, Oh, I can't remember her name. Uh, the, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but the, the Paragon, when she sees it, she's like, you know, you, your soul has been sundered. And I think that's, you know, when we see in the short, uh, I want to say Alex Strazo, but it's not. It's Arthas. Wow, brain. Uh, we see Arthas stab Uther with Frostmourne, and we see like that weird like pattern of like two different lights, two different color like lighted forms over his head as the sword is killing him. It's like the sword is pulling his soul into it, but at the same time, it's like the light is pulling his soul forth into Bastion, and he ends up split. Now. We saw the ghost, you know, of, of Uther several times in the Halls of Reflection and throughout. So if we assume that part of his soul was in Frostmourne, I'm willing to believe that during certain periods of time, he'd got enough strength to temporarily fight his way free from the blade and appear to us. So the Western Plaguelands bits, like, on, you know, on, on special high holidays or whatever, that doesn't bother me, but because I think maybe that's the part of Uther that was in the sword. But I don't know. Like, there's no. I can't sit here and say this is what it is. I can say this is what I'm speculating. That if we if we take that that rope metaphor, view the like Uther as a soul that is unraveling because he was cut by Frostmourne and Frostmourne severed him, and thus there's like unruly ends sticking out. One of them went to Bastion. One of them's like in the sword. One of them might be flailing around the Plaguelands because that's where he died. The, if that makes sense, but I don't know. There's another interesting thing to consider, though, there, too. What happens to your memories in Bastion? I'm, I'm legitimately asking, because I haven't oh, done you're, a covenant. The, the thing is, is that we know Uther didn't lose his memories. Well, we, know that, he, we no, know that he we didn't we lose his that. memories, but we don't know how uh, how much of that was shit. Because one of the things I find interesting is one of the things you're doing as you're going through there is you're helping people look at like reflective mirrors and things like that. Uh, there's a whole lot of reflection, 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 um, maybe not shedding them, but there's definitely an impression made. And I'm wondering if during that process, the light might also allow aspects of him to speak. Like, cause one of the things that, that Uther's tomb, it's not just Uther appearing. Like the very first time I think we, we ever encountered it at his tomb, it's because the light willed it to be so, right? Or at least that's what we assume. Uh, there's a, it's a, uh, got a whole bunch of light coming down. It looks all very, you know, epic movie light scene-ish thing. But I'm wondering if that might have something to do with it. Cause we know that he tried to go through the process. They tried to get him to go through that process. And I'm wondering if maybe part of that was the light when time was needed is like, yeah, you can, part of you can speak out to them. Part, we, we understand the value of your person, but, or if it's even actually him that we're speaking with, or just a reflection of him, some an impression of him, something that was left yeah, behind, that, right? Not that's necessarily also, maybe a piece of his soul, right? Well, maybe that's also possible. And the problem is that we don't know. Yeah, like we, we can sit here and come up with like thirty different ways you could be talking to an Uther that isn't the Uther and Bastion. I mean, maybe maybe there's like a soul big boom, like a you know like a big like 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 a sonic boom when you break the sound barrier. Maybe there's a soul boom when you break the death barrier i don't know i mean i just made that up right now my point being that we, we, we don't have any way to really answer you 
Um, but in terms of speculation, there's several ways it could work. I mean, Joe's idea about reflections and, you know, the lights, you know, possibly just, it could just be the light appearing to us as Uther, you know, like, cause the light would know him. It had touched him. It could do that. Uh, there's lots of different possibilities, but unfortunately until we're done with Shadowlands, I don't think we'll know. And I don't even know if we'll find out in Shadowlands. No, we're, this might be another Hermes Conrad moment where it just raises more questions by the end of it, and I would not be surprised if that's the case. So, for now, just enjoy the fact that you can speak to Uther occasionally, uh, and then, you know, go beat him up and, and make him realize that he's, you know, shouldn't be a Mosshorn. Uh, I We're going to go through the next one here, which is uh, a new patron for us. Uh, so, thank you very much for this. This is uh, from Jonathan. Uh, so, it's a, a big one. It's a long one. Let's see if I can get through it real quick. Uh, I've been a long-time listener and earlier this year joined monthly Patreon. I love listening to the chat and the discussion. Well, thank you. Uh, so I have a question. Could the Winter Queen be a loon? I'm not totally convinced, but I did think the Jailer might be a patron or other major influence on the Nathrazine. Could the Winter Queen be the same for the Night Elves and others? We know that Alun has other races who worship her. Well, as the nature guardian of the Death Realm, the Winter Queen is accessible to most races, question mark. Thinking about Zalatath, Zalatath's reference to Alun, the upstart goddess that sounds like Alun has peers, meaning she probably isn't the biggest or highest power out there. We've witnessed Alun's power somewhat. She's clearly very powerful, yet according to Zalatath, isn't the highest power. There are references, especially the Void Lords, that higher powers from other realms struggle to act effectively powerfully in other realms. They pick conduits, which are better able to perform, well, the Winter Queen isn't from Azeroth. Alun acts in darkness when light is covered out. The Shadowlands, well, Ardenwald specifically, is in the autumn and winter of the nature cycle. Tarand and other are angry that Alun wasn't readily available to help them during the genocide of Teldrassil. The Winter Queen may well have been distracted. The destruction of her realm, and I think I read beta references that she feels the realm, feels the pain of Ardenwald being destroyed. That could be a good excuse. I'm not convinced. I just thought that there are a few connections worth looking at. P.S. Don't uh, Doesn't it tease you a lot? It does me. When you think about how many characters we could ask, who is a loon in the game? Who know in between the regular catastrophes? Queen Ajara definitely knows more. Cenarius, uh, his mother. Luna, uh, Lunara, grandmother. Goldrin, history between them. Ysera and the other dragon aspects, on and on. Keep up the great discussion. There's a lot to unpack there, but... Uh, I'll let you go first, but yeah. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't drop this one on me and they let me go first. No, okay. you go. Fine. I don't think the Winter Queen is a loon. I, I don't think... I, I understand where some of this is coming from. This is not the first I've heard of this from other people. Uh, there is definitely some correlation there. I think it's more likely that the Winter Queen is aware and possibly has a relationship with a loon, but I don't think that she is a loon. Um... There is some weird coincidences there, but that might also be because of the influence of Alun on the Winter Queen and how uh, Alun has been in general, not just in the Shadowlands, but how she presents in other worlds. Because that's one of the things we know about, right? The Night Warrior is not specifically to Azeroth, right? The very first one isn't from Azeroth. It's from a completely different world. We meet them. We interact with them. We learn from them. Uh, so we know that a loon touches other places. Is it something that maybe the Winter Queen was like, okay, well, this is, I'm kind of into this. The nature is my realm. You gave me like instruction or, or, you know, some sort of coaching when I started doing this gig way, way, way long ago. Maybe, but I think that a loon is a, a magnitude of order more powerful than the Winter Queen, despite the anima drought, even if she had full anima. I think Alun operates on a completely different level. Um, there are some really interesting ideas that Alun might be the youngest of a set of powers in the universe, but that means different things to different entities, especially Zalatath. Youngest to them could still be ancient by our reckonings. Don't forget, like as mortals, our lives are, are flashes in the pan compared to some of these cosmic beings that have existed for eons. So it's also entirely possible that that has to be taken with a grain of salt, where, again, young upstart could mean she's still millennia old. Um, Void Lord's talking about uh, higher powers that struggle to act. Yeah, 
maybe, but we've also seen direct intervention from the light. We've seen Alun have some interve- inter- intervention. Uh, she may not have saved all the people of Teldrassil because we don't know what else is going on or where other her powers are, are spread thin, but she put them to sleep so that they wouldn't feel pain. And she doesn't, ign- she didn't ignore Tarand. Uh, she gave Tehran the Night Warrior power. She granted her that through the ritual. She could have ignored her. She could have told her no or killed her outright. She didn't. Um, so I don't know if, how much I buy into the whole idea that Tehran is angry at Alun. I don't necessarily think she's angry at Alun. I think she's angry at Sylvanas and wants to, to murder the, the heck out of Sylvanas. Uh, and she's using Alun's power to do so. So I don't know how much I, I buy into that one. But... There are some interesting connections there. I think Alun has a deeper connection to Ardenweld than we know right now, and I think that will be revealed in time, but I do not believe that Alun is the Winter Queen. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start talking about some interesting things about this. One thing that comes to mind is that there are a lot of similarities between the descendants of Alun and the natives of the Shadowlands. For instance, Dryads and Keepers of the Grove look a lot like the Vorkai mm-hmm. who live in the Shadowlands in much the same way that we saw that Satyrs resemble the Sivan. Um, the, the, the Silvar, sorry. I keep wanting to say Sylvan. The Silvar, uh, you know, the big horns, the, the you know, hoofed feet, resemble Satyr quite a bit uh, in much the same way. The Vorkai look a lot like Dryads and Centaurs and Keepers of the Grove, who are descended from Alun. And we know that we know that Alun has children. For instance, Cenarius, you just mentioned him. It's theoretically possible that the Winter Queen might have a very direct relationship with Alun. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we know about Alun is that she has multiple aspects. Um, one of those aspects is the Night Warrior, who is, you know, a being that is the embodiment of vengeance. We don't know how many aspects that Alun actually has. We know that Alun has at least one child that's another moon. If we take it literally and think of Alun as the moon, there's the white lady and the blue child. Um, so I I mean I'm sitting here thinking this it's quite you know, it's an interesting idea that that the Winter Queen might be Alun. She might be Alun's kid. Yeah, I was actually going to say that's another possibility now that you mentioned, like, the blue child. Yeah, yeah she might be, you know, the the, the aspect of a loon, you know, the, the offspring of the aspect of a loon that deals with night and winter and death. Because, the, you know, we know that the, window, that the night warrior takes beings from Azeroth and hangs them in the sky, you know, when they die. That's something she does. That's a thing that she's stated to do. If you go look at the loon entry and you read about the the winter queen um there's that i'm not the winter queen sorry but the the night warrior there's that whole bit where she takes you know she's known to do this she's known to go forth and and take beings and lift them up into the heavens and we saw it with with ysera and then ysera ended up in ardenweald so I'm not. I don't want to reject your idea out of hand, and I think it's an interesting one, and it's one we should like look at more as there's more evidence. Right now, there's not enough evidence to say mm-hmm. yes, absolutely, it is. Um, and I, I do think that Joe's point about the power of keep in mind the Void Lords and their servants, like for instance Zalatath, are not trustworthy. Not even close. I mean, just because they, they believe in a thousand truths doesn't mean they don't lie. They lie frequently. They lie with great relish. You, you can't take anything they say at face value, ever. If he calls somebody an upstart goddess, you have to start thinking about why, or she, in the case of Zalatath. Why is Zalatath saying that? What does Zalatath have to gain? Or is it just contempt? You know, that, that's... Clearly, Elune is powerful enough to kill an old god. We know that because the Night Warrior did it on another planet. And that's the Night Warrior as in somebody channeling the power, not the actual power. Mm-hmm. Not Alun itself coming to kill them. No. Alun just granted the power to do it. Which means Alun can make you powerful enough to kill an old god, which is more powerful than a titan. Remember? They couldn't figure... They, they killed an old god and it just got made things worse. 
Although we don't know that the need the original Night Warrior that we we meet, and we don't know that he's the first Night Warrior. By the way, in fact, we know he wasn't the first Night Warrior because the ritual existed on his world. I thought he was referenced as the first. I apologize. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that he the mother of his lover tried to be the Night Warrior first and was killed, which meant that they had the ritual already. He might have been the so, first successful. Maybe I I don't know because the first one we know of. Yeah, is the you know that doesn't mean he's the first one. We don't we don't have enough to say that for for absolute sure. But there's a lot to this. Alun, you know, I, and again, I don't want to reject your idea of hands. I find it very interesting. There's a lot of similarity between beings in the art in Ardenweald and beings we see, you know, that are directly descended from Alun. Every every dryad and keeper of the grove is a descendant of Alun because they're they're descended from scenarius they are her grandchildren essentially and so it would be it's interesting to go to another realm ruled by the winter queen and there's dryad like beings all over it they're like dryads but the difference between the vorkai and dryads is that the dryads and the keepers of the grove look night elfy whereas the vorkai are more animalistic they've they've had that their aspect is more like a like an animal person than it is a, a night elf, but they're certainly very close. They have a lot of the same stuff that this this the Sivan do. So Sivar, I keep saying Sivan, I keep turning that R into an N. I just I think there is something here. There is a relationship here, and it could be as simple as the Winter Queen is descended from or related to a loon in some way. Uh, if the Winter Queen is the actual creator of Ardenweald, though. And that's what we're told. She, you know, who knows? Maybe she is a loon. I don't know. I certainly, looking at the Winter Queen, I get why she'd be attracted to Malorn because they both have really amazing antlers. <laughs> um, that's my little bit of joke here, guys. Uh, but in all sincerity, the Winter Queen is a fascinating character. I'd love to hear more about her. I, every every appearance of her that we've seen has just been amazing. Um, and we got so little about her. We don't know much at all. He- yeah, even when you get to directly interact with her, she is she is a an entity couched in mystery, right? Like it's it is yeah. it is just one of those things where we don't know enough yet, even when we can ask her direct questions, because even then she just straight up ignores us because she's got work to go do. Um, and that's that's interesting to me, and I'm hoping like you that we get more about her because out of all of the uh, all the prime aspects. I don't even know what we want to call them. All, all the members called, of the Pantheon of Death. They're called the Eternal Ones or described sometimes as the Pantheon of Death. So out of all the Eternal Ones, she's the most fascinating to me. Like, yeah. Sired and Athreus, okay, whatever. He's possibly a Dreadlord, and we know that. He's he's not a good dude. Doesn't interest me. He's He pretty much, if you ask him about his life, he'd probably give you a 10,000-year soliloquy of, of, of or monologue of, of who he was and where he came from. Uh, the Archon for Bastion, okay, I can kind of get behind that. The, the Primus is gone from Maldraxxus, like, just doesn't, straight up gone, don't know where they are. And our interactions with him has been, oh, cool, you can pull my sword out. Go do stuff now. Uh, but the queen is the one we have the most interaction with, I think, and the least amount of answers, which is fascinating to me. Well, we don't know much about Kyresia, Kyre- the, the firstborn, either. For instance, we don't know why she's the firstborn. Mm. Um, you know, what is, firstborn of what? Is she the firstborn of the Eternal Ones or just the firstborn of the Kyrian? Uh, there's, there's a lot to that, too. But I definitely think... I mean, I feel like the Pantheon of Death, they feel like an, like they're, there's, we know about the first ones who obviously existed before them and had something to do with like them in some way that we don't know. I feel like if a loon is anything, she'd be in that group, but I don't know. And I but, do think that it's quite possible. But one thing, I was going to say, one thing's for sure, we're probably going to find out more about that as this expansion moves on. Yeah, I, probably. One hopes. Yeah, I, I mean, I, in, in you know, they could do a swerve on us here, but it seems like a lot of pieces are falling into place specifically for Alune, this expansion, and that really interests me quite a bit. So, anything else you want to say about that? No, I do think it's good. There's, there's a lot of good similarities there to look at and think about. Um, and if it was to turn out that Alune is the, the Winter Queen, like if, if that's just 
that's feasible, but I feel like the Winter Queen is more limited than Alun is. Like Alun has shown more aspects and more more of a role in the cosmos. Yeah. Than just and, being the ru- the ruler of one realm of death. But I think there's a specific correlation there that and one thing that you didn't mention that and we should probably bring up is that we know that the Night Warriors all wind up on Ardenweld. Why? Why yeah, is that true. the case? So if that, we'll find out more, hopefully. Steve, if you're listening, please give us more. Uh, <laughs> but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. And again, if you have questions for the show, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or send them on our Discord server, whether you are a Patreon supporter and can do in the Patreon channel, or if you are not, there is a Q and uh, podcast question channel. Be sure to put them in there. Uh, and if you are not a patron, please consider signing up for our patron. Uh, it gives you early access to this podcast if you sign into the $3 a month tier, and it helps us continue to produce this wonderful content that we love making for you. Uh, but with all that said, we'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.